Let's pray. God, we want your your word to be known. We want to know your word. We want to love you. We want to understand more about you and how we're supposed to be so that we can enjoy you more and share your joy and your love with the world around us, God. And Lord, we ask, we beckon, we desire you to be here this morning, Lord, in us, working in us, uh, moving through us, causing our ears and our eyes to be opened to who you are. There is nothing greater than you. You alone are wise, you alone are magnificent, and we bow down before you, only you. Submit to you, may everything that comes out of my mouth, out of our worshiping mouths this morning, be about you. Help us to put aside everything um, that would keep us from loving you this morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to even be here worshiping together. In your name, amen. Well, I had a uh, jump start on this morning. Um, I had my clothes ironed last night. I had James's clothes ironed and uh, who else? Uh, Rocco's clothes all ironed, ready to go. Uh, we were a good 40 minutes ready, just ready to go to church. And I stepped out. Naomi glanced over me and said, Are, you're not wearing those shoes, right, to church. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I planned on it. And uh, she said, uh, where are your dress shoes? I said, well, they're at work <laughs> in Eureka. So she says, well, you need to go get those shoes. I said, we don't have time to do that. We all need to jump in the car and drive together. So I uh, skirted the speed limit a little bit, and uh, I sinned again. <laughs> yeah, another confession. I'm sorry. Um, and I, I did get my dress shoes, though, and I got here five minutes before it was time um, to be here for church. So um, thank you for uh, letting me be here again. Thank you for coming. Good morning. Um, last Sunday, I tried to address two different questions. One question was, is the Bible that we're reading accurate? Can we trust the translation that we're reading right now, and then who wrote the Bible? Was it God or was it man? And we began with looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And then we ended with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, which told us the reason why we believe the Bible is the Word of God is because we were void inside, we were dark inside, but yet, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God spoke light into our hearts to see that His Word is the Word of God. The Bible is self-authenticating. The Holy Spirit was working in us and it says, it testifies, these are my words. And then it also told us that the reason there are some people who do not see the Bible as the Word of God is because their eyes have been veiled. 
They've been blinded by Satan and therefore they cannot see that the Bible is the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to assume we are going to take the position that the Bible is the Word of God. That it was written by God, that the translation we have is accurate and we can trust it. So the question then is, is if we believe that, what do we do? How do we apply that truth to our lives? If you have your Bibles and you would like, would you please open to the book of 2 Timothy? Apostle Paul wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. This was the last book, the last letter that he wrote. He wrote it from a jail cell in Rome in between the years 64 and 68 AD. And Paul's writing to a close friend. It's a younger man named Timothy who he refers to as a beloved child. And we know that Timothy is a Christian because Paul says in the first chapter that he has a sincere faith, just like his mother and his grandmother had. Paul also makes reference to the moment when Timothy received the saving faith through the laying on of Paul's hands in chapter 1, verse 6. So Paul feels a special closeness, closeness to Timothy. And I, I tend to think it's much like that of probably a father and a son have. And Paul seems to think that he's going to die soon because in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, He's being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of his departure has come. And so, he is missing Timothy, and he's pleading with Timothy, or he asks Timothy at the end of his letter to please come and see him soon, but he does not know if Timothy is going to be able to make it. He doesn't know if he's going to see Timothy, and so he writes this letter to him, this letter of instruction and encouragement. And while studying this book, what I did was I went through, and everywhere that there was an instruction that Paul gave to Timothy, I wrote it down. And I wanted to see, is there a common theme going through the book of 2 Timothy? I lumped them all together and looked at it, and it was clear as day. I think you'll be able to see it also. See what Paul writes. I wrote down seven or ten of these instructions. Number one, fan into flame the gift of God. Number two, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Three, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Four, be strengthened by grace and what you have heard from me teach to others also. Five, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding. Six, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, rightly handling the Word of God. Seven, be not quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach. Eight, continue in what you have learned and have believed and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Nine, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Ten, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with patience and teaching. So I just read ten instructions from Paul to Timothy. Do you see a common theme there? 
All of these instructions have to do with living by the Word of God and then teaching the Word of God. And every other instruction that's in this book are all focused at pointing to those two instructions. Living by the Word and teaching the Word. So, Paul's on his deathbed in prison. He's endured all types of suffering for preaching about Jesus. He's had a number of near-death experiences. He's been abandoned by, the, by close friends, and now he's writing to his dear friend Timothy a final letter of instruction and encouragement. And what does he write about? The Bible. <laughs> he doesn't reminisce to Timothy about the past. He doesn't mourn for a life lost. He doesn't speak of fear and dying. He doesn't even plead for help to get out of jail. In fact, he says in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is satisfied. He says he's finished the race. He's looking forward to that day, the day when he's going to be with Jesus. And not only does he say he's going to receive a crown of righteousness, he says that all of us who have loved his, God's appearing, are also going to receive the crown of righteousness. And I couldn't help but wondering, when, when everything around us is caving in, what is it that we're going to be thinking about? Are we going to be thinking about the Word of God and about spreading the Word of God? Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus was dramatic and it was real. The Bible says it was as if scales fell from his eyes and then he wasn't blind anymore to the truth. And after Paul's conversion, he was devoted to what he referred to as the good fight. And this was a good fight. It was a fight that he used by using the Word of God as the sword against evil. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now look at the contrast here. Bound as chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's life was about Jesus. It was about the gospel message. This message was the power of God. It wasn't bound. In fact, it says in Hebrews, the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This message satisfied Paul's every need. This message was the truth. And God gave it to Paul to tell others so that they also would be saved and know God. There is no better farewell letter to give to a loved one than it, an instruction to cling to the Word of God and to spread the Word of God. So if you're a Christian, 
let's receive this letter as Paul intended us to. He's not only exhorting Timothy to love the Word of God and to spread the Word of God, but he's telling you and I also to do the same thing. Paul warns us in chapter 4, verse 3, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I'm sure that most of us probably feel like that time we can definitely see happening right now. And I believe this verse, when it talks about people will not endure sound teaching, is talking about Christians. People who would say that they're Christians and then they've started to wander from the teachings of the Bible. This is a huge warning for us. We're prone to wander from the truth. That statement shouldn't take any convincing whatsoever. We know that we're sinners. We know that we have seasons of victory when we're living in harmony with God and we're obeying the Word of God. And then we all know that we have seasons where we are rebelling. We're wandering from the truth. Just like a child who doesn't want to listen to their parent. This passage is warning us that we'll become deceived and follow myths instead of the truth if we don't follow sound biblical teaching. Someone can learn wisdom from Scripture such as you should love a neighbor as yourself and then apply that truth to what they like about another religion and in doing so, wander off from the teachings of the Bible. For example, someone who calls themselves a Christian, might like the idea that Christians are to love one another. And then, one day, they might hear about the Universal Life Church, which teaches that there's no traditional doctrine, and everyone is entitled to their own belief system. This church will actually ordain anyone who wants to be ordained. It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, they'll ordain you so that you can practice whatever religious beliefs, ceremonies you want to practice. This denomination, the Universal Life Church, is extremely popular today. It's popular because it's tolerant. It doesn't draw hard lines. Believe what you want to believe and then let's be friends. Let's not judge one another. This kind of church is an example of what our culture would call a loving church. And if you don't know what real love is, as defined in Scripture, you might fall into following this myth, which is a lie. When I was a student at CR in 1999, um, I took a class called World Religions, Religions of the World. Rabbi Scharnberg taught this class. I like this guy because he was smart. Of course, I don't know how smart you are unless you know the truth, but he was smart, and I, and I listened to him intently, and one of the things that we had to do in our class was pick a religion of the world and study it, then try to go interview someone that's a prominent member or leader of that denomination, that religion. So I chose to study Mormonism. I didn't know much about Mormonism. In fact, after all, they said they were Christians themselves, so I thought, well, 
we'll learn about our other fellow Christians. So I interviewed the second head bishop of the Mormon Church for Northern California. We spent a couple hours in the cafeteria at CR one day. And he explained to me, Mormons, they, they believe Jesus is the Son of God. And you need to know Jesus in order to be saved. And he, and he explained to me how the Bible also allows you to, uh, for there to be another prophet to receive message from God and then write, I'm talking about Joseph Smith, another book, which is the Book of Mormon. And he explained it to me in Scripture. I mean, he knew his stuff. He even explained to me how there's such things as baptism for the dead. And he quoted for me 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. And I looked and says, well, it says baptism of the dead in there. I came away from that thinking, wow, there really isn't that much difference between the Mormon church and the church I go to. And just so you know, I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life. I went to church growing up my whole life. And if I would have known my Bible better, if I would have known the Word of God, I would have known that everything that he was telling me was a lie from Satan. It's easy for us to be deceived and wander from the truth if we don't heed Paul's instructions to know the Scriptures. Let's repeat 2 Timothy chapter. 3 verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you, whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We need only to live by the Word of God because it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we would be competent, equipped for every, every good work. The Bible is our life, and without the Bible, we absolutely have nothing. Everything we need is in here, and that's why it is called the words of life. If we work hard to know the Bible, which, by the way, is the study of God, which is theology, then we'll be also able to teach sound doctrine. And there's a problem. We, and I mean I, <laughs> am so lazy. I want to open up the Bible, read for a little bit, and then get the message and understand it. But if I can't get the message in 30 seconds, I could go over to the internet, look up online a commentary, and just get what someone else concluded about Scripture and move along with it. I don't want to work for it. But I do want to work for things like toys. <laughs> I, w I still want the truck I talked about a few sermons ago. Um, uh, a vacation. I'll work overtime. I'll sign up for all these things and I'll work for those things. But when it comes to the Bible, I just want the conclusion handed to me. 
I've never mined for gold before. That's my disclaimer. But I'm pretty certain that you can't just walk up on top of any mountain anywhere and see a nice finished piece of gold, a big nugget, pick it up and walk away. You have to mine for it. You have to study. You have to know where to start digging. You don't want me to tell you where to start digging. These people have made it a science. They know what rock to look for. They start drilling and drilling and drilling. And maybe they'll drill for a long time and find out we shouldn't have listened to Alan. That was the wrong place to go to. Then they go to another part of the mountain and they drill and drill and drill. And eventually they find a vein. But the vein isn't in its finished product yet. So then they've got to mine out the vein. And they bring out the vein of gold. And then it goes through a refining process. And then the final product is gorgeous to look at and admire. And it's very valuable. When I get an opportunity, this is one of the reasons why I'm thankful for this, to preach a sermon, I force myself to wrestle with the Word of God. I pray about it, and I look at that look at that passage over and over and over again before I even look at anyone else's commentary. And without failure, every time I come away feeling fed, because it is truth, it is real word, this is living and active. We need to believe that and handle it accordingly. It is a treasure. And, and, and then... Yeah, every time I do it, I get a better glimpse at God because it all points back to Him and His glory. We need to know the Word, study the Word, and obey the Word. So what do we do with this gift, the Word of God that God has given to us? We not only need to know the Word of God and live our lives according to the teachings of the Word of God, But we also need to take this message that we've been given and preach it. Paul charges us. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing in in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. It doesn't matter if you're shy. It doesn't matter if you're afraid or if you think you're retired now and it's time for the young guys to do all the work. Well, I'm getting older. Young guys to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't matter if you're sick or if you think you can't walk or if you don't have any money or if you don't think that your gift is the gift of evangelism. We are to preach the Word. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure sufferings. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. If Christ is in you, then scales have also fallen from your eyes, just as they did Paul. The Holy Spirit's working in you. It's fanning into flame. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And everything in you is saying, I want more. And I can't hold it in. I need to tell someone what is going on inside of me. So don't only 
display. This is huge for us here in America. Listen. Don't only display your love, but share your love verbally. Be ready in season and out of season. Exhort, rebuke, reprove. Do the work of an evangelist. And if you can't physically speak, write it down on paper or type it on a computer, but give your testimony. The world needs to hear the gospel message. Share how God has changed you. Don't be afraid. Let's obey Him so that people will be saved. That is real biblical love. Not letting them follow deceitful myths, the myths that are going to kill them. Of course, there may be consequences for preaching the good news about Jesus. We might lose friends. We might get sued. If you're living in Turkey or Iran, you might get tortured. You might lose your life. Chapter 3, verse 12 guarantees that we'll suffer. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we find hope in remembering that the Word of God is not bound. It is living and active. It does not return void. And death cannot hold the Word of God down. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, meaning Jesus, was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. I'd like to ask the ushers to please come forward. As we receive the elements, the the crackers and the the grape juice, would you please hold them until we're all done, until they've all been passed out, and then we'll share in communion together.
by rising from his tomb after he was crucified on the cross for our sins. And as we're reminded this morning in some of the scripture that we read, we're going to overcome the dead also because of his blood, because of the word of God. That's why it's so awesome to be able to come together and share in this communion together. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. Not because we don't love you. Not because God doesn't love you. Not because we don't want you <laughs> to be doing it. Because it doesn't mean anything. But God does love you. And we love you. And we want you <laughs> to share in communion with us. Mm-hmm. We do. Jesus does. If you're feeling a tugging in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God saying, I love you and I want you to be mine. You simply just need to acknowledge that you're a sinner 
Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. And with your mouth you confess and are saved. You can pray that in your mind. You can pray that out loud. You can pray that tomorrow. You can pray that later with a friend. It's between you and God. But we desire that you would be sharing with us in this because we love you just like Jesus. And the reason why we love you is because Jesus is in us. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you for your power, God. Thank you for conquering death on the cross. May we live to you and your glory, for it's all about you. Thank you. We love you, Lord. Please bless the rest of this day for us. In your name, amen.